Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. (laughs) On your radio and in the game, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. It's just three of us on this Thursday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online with you at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Brian Scott Rippey is off today and tomorrow, so we are happy to have you along and to be hanging out. Let's give you some NFL news right out of the uh, out of the gate that has just popped up on Twitter in the last little bit from Oakland Raiders camp. Uh, Robert Mays, who covers the Raiders, Gabe Jackson and Aaron Donald just got into a seriously heated scuffle to the point that Sean McVay ran over from the other field. That tweet happened at 141. Now, even though the internet is trying to make it look like maybe these things are related, they are apparently not. This from Michael Gelkin at uh, Gelkin NFL A worrisome situation developing in Napa. That's where the Raiders are practicing. Raiders right guard Gabe Jackson struggling to put pressure on one of his legs. General manager Mike Mayock, quarterback Derek Carr, among those checking on him, he'll be carted off. And then after practice, um, apparently uh, head coach of the Raiders, John Gruden, saying that he was really concerned about Gabe Jackson. And he was carted off the field for um, further evaluation. So that's not good news for the Raiders and uh, on the Raiders front. You hate that for a uh, former Mississippi State player who's been really, really good in the NFL. So that's how we uh, get started with you on this Thursday afternoon. Michael Borky, what's up? Oh, just excited for the, what is this, the 10th now unofficial start of football season? There's nothing unofficial about this. It's just full slate of games week one of the preseason yeah but there's that prefix i I guess that's kind of redundant the prefix pre it's not actually football but this is just another day that all football's back this time for sure Eh, fair enough i think you're jaded over this at this point yeah i am a little bit but i am excited to sit down and just watch multiple football games So which is it? Are you sarcastic and jaded about it, or are you excited about it? A little bit of both. I mean, because I I love the game, and I will watch it because I feel like I have to, but I know the games don't count. It's kind of a a double-edged sword, catch-22, whatever phrase you want to use. I love football. It's on. I'm going to watch it, but I would prefer to have these games count. So I'm frustrated that the outcome doesn't matter, but I'm excited that there's a game on. That's only August 8th. But I get what you're saying. Uh, I hear you. Hey, Dad, bum news about Gabe Jackson. Yeah, it sucks. That sucks for a guy who, you know, 
just gotten a big deal a couple of years ago and is sort of coming into his own in the league as one of the best interior linemen available. Uh, we obviously, we'll have to wait and see what the uh, the final word is. But 99% of the time, it seems, when, when you start seeing people say the words concern, I think about Kevin Durant's injury. And as soon as it went out and everybody's like, oh, that, that was bad. And they tend to be right. So uh, we'll hope for the best, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, um... Just kind of looking at all the different things, John Gruden said, quote, really concerned about Gabe Jackson. Um, Sports Radio X, always tough at any time getting these tweets. Hopefully Gabe Jackson's injury was not as bad as it's perceived. Um, that's a, uh, a radio account out of uh, out of Las Vegas. So uh, we'll see where that goes. And the, the contract that he got, I'm trying to remember the exact numbers of it. Uh, five years, $55 million, $27.5 million of it guaranteed. So an annual average salary of uh, $11 million for Gabe Jackson um, right now. And kind of the, uh, yes, playing guard, but kind of the centerpiece of that offensive line for the Raiders. Um, yeah, and for a team that, you know, needs some veteran leadership and, and needs you know to be able to be better offensively, that's a big piece for them to lose if, that's, if that is indeed the case. And now they have Richie Incognito to anchor oh. that offensive line. Oh, What's the opposite of leadership? Something yeah, like think, that. I think I read, um, as I was just kind of flipping through those tweets right before the show came on, that um, Kirkland, the uh, former Arkansas offensive lineman, was uh, filling that spot for uh, Gabe Jackson. Was it him. Denver? Denver Kirkland? I think that's yeah. right. I was trying to say Darius. I knew that wasn't right. There was Denver, a couple Kirkland. videos today, and maybe this is why they got into it, a couple videos uh, of them doing one-on-ones, Donald versus Jackson, and, and he was holding his own, man. I mean, this is the best uh, defensive lineman in football, and uh, Jackson kind of owned him in the couple of reps that made their way on Twitter, so it could have been different, but from what they showed... He really looked good, so hope it's not didn't, permanent. Um, didn't Denver Kirkland, was it he and Robert Kimdichie that got into it a couple of times? He was the guy that uh, Kimdichie got the personal foul at the end of that, I, what was it, 2014? Did he flop? Yeah, he flopped. So it looked like Kimdichie threw him like a rag doll, but he flopped like he was LeBron James getting breathed on out there. <laughs> I thought I remembered that from somewhere along the way. Oh, there you go. Sports Talk's brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. Whether you're a farmer with equipment needs, time to buy a tractor or a combine or a cotton picker or other types of equipment for the uh, for the farm, Mississippi Land Bank can help with that. If you're buying a new piece of property, no problem Maybe refinancing an existing loan or getting your production loan, uh, production loans set up. Mississippi Land Bank, that's what they do. Branch locations across North Mississippi. You can find the one closest to you at mslandbank.com. Got a bunch coming up this afternoon. Ryan Brown will join us from WJOX in Birmingham. We'll talk some college football with him. Uh, coming up in just a few minutes, we'll get some uh, post-practice audio from yesterday from Joe Moorhead after uh, Mississippi State practice last night, and also Rich Rodriguez after uh, Ole Miss's practice uh, yesterday as well. Some of what those guys had to say. And, hey, Dad, I, I caught a little bit of the video. I guess it was about, oh, was it about 8.30, 9 o'clock last night when yeah. uh, when Joe Moorhead met with you guys. And it seems to be in a pretty good mood. 
Yeah. Yeah, he was he, he was he was fine. That you know, was very I mean, Dan Mullen esque of you. Ah, uh, well, you know. You just went uh, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean he, he didn't come in and you know, gr- grouch here or anything, which is interesting because I asked him after the uh the uh thing, I said, Have you eaten yet? And he said he had not. So I was like, Man, you're you're doing better than me. I switched my window yesterday to eat lunch. He had not eaten until that point. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I, I think things are going well. You know, knock wood that that you know things are progressing the way he wants them. I think he feels good about his quarterbacks right now. I think he, whoever wins this battle, and I, I still think it's going to be Tommy Stevens, but I think he, he feels like he's going to have some confidence in that guy. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's early in spring. Pra- I'm sorry, fall practice. Call it what you will. But uh, you know, he's got a, a positive attitude right this second. 100 teams in 100 days today goes to Big Ten country. Teams are getting interesting, and the fight songs seem to be getting a, a little bit better each day as uh, as well. So we've got that coming up for you uh, this afternoon. Dabo Swinney in the news, and this feels like a great big fat nothing burger to me. But you got a lot of sensitive people who are getting on to Dabo Swinney and are advocating for something for his former quarterback that was not earned. Why are people upset? It's coming up a little bit later this afternoon. Robert Kimdichie, who I mentioned a second ago for altogether different reasons, uh, was cut from the Arizona Cardinals. He has a new home. Is it a place where he's going to care? Is it a place where he's going to get in trouble? Is it a place where... Perhaps there can be some sort of reclamation project of his career. And it's really not fair to call it a reclamation project because in terms of the NFL, the career has never begun for Robert Kimdichie. Yeah, Out, it, outside, it never really got started. You're exactly right. It's not uh, people uh, – I mean, I guess bust is the right word to use, but uh, I even said in the notes this is his last chance. Well – I mean, maybe at best. Miami has nothing to lose here, and if he shows up out of shape again, causes trouble, doesn't practice hard, he'll be cut so fast, and that'll just be the end of it. He he has given himself no capital in that league whatsoever. Yeah, and, you know, I, I don't know that there's been a lot of causing trouble. It just seems like he's been incredibly lazy. Well, those two arrests within a week of each other, but they were both... As you mentioned, because of laziness, not renewing a driver's license. I mean, that's what it came down to. Just didn't bother. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, but the, it, he didn't do anything like violent or dangerous. He was driving because he didn't go get a license renewed. That's the epitome of laziness. Robert Kimdichie seems to be a long way removed from Stephen A. Smith going, That guy! <laughs> he was pretty good at that point. He was the best player on the field when Ole Miss won in Tuscaloosa in 2015. But again, that feels like a long time ago. One of the most iconic albums in music was released 50 years ago today. Tell you what it was coming up later. A lot to get to this afternoon. It's going to be a fun Thursday in the Renaissance Bank Studios. We are now just, uh, what, we got... We got football three weeks from tonight. College football three weeks from tonight. 16 days away from week zero. We're getting close. You 
Ceasefire text line is open to you. 601-879-4395. Prepaid by Ceasefire is going big for back to school with special deals, including a light new iPhone 6S for just $49 and a daily $500 giveaway. Learn more at cspire.com slash prepaid, cspire, customer inspired. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad with you on this Thursday afternoon, weekend just around the corner. Mississippi State, um, what, Haydad, you had early yesterday player availability, practice last night, and then Joe Moorhead after practice? Didn't have players yesterday, just just, uh, Moorhead after practice yesterday. Okay, so just Joe Moorhead. He was the only one talking uh, last night. Got some of uh, what he had to say uh, after Mississippi State finished up its practice last night. Um, thought some of the um, some of the thoughts that he had on last year's passing game were interesting. They were telling. They were a little insightful, and you can hear him right now. Here's what he said. I think last year. I haven't been able to pass the ball very successfully, essentially everywhere I've been. Um, I was uh, pretty optimistic of the strides we were going to take in year one in the transition offenses. And, you know, I said it before, it probably bears repeating. I thought we could go from A to Z, and we went from A to M. Went from a season where we had a 250-yard receiver as a leader to two guys having 400. And, uh, you know, I think with the, with the skill that we have returning and those guys having another year and understanding the system in addition to the guys we brought in, uh, you know, that was one of our goals offensively in, in the fall camp is improving the efficiency, the explosiveness uh, of, the, of the pass game. And I think the guys will allow us to do that. So running game, part of the reason that the uh, that the passing game struggled. Did you learn anything there, hey Dad, that you hadn't heard before, that you hadn't thought about before? No, not really. I mean, he, he's talked about it a, a, a bunch of times about how you know, they, they just didn't come together last season, and he puts it all on himself. You know, the the, the saying he likes to give you is, "I point the the thumb, not the finger." Um, but that said, you know, he seems he seems at least optimistic in the the pieces that he has. Now, that that came that question came out of a he, we asked about a specific receiver, uh, the junior college transfer Javante Payton, who, if you've read my article at SuperTalk.fm, I, I mentioned he's looked really good out there, and that's not a guy that you know. Coming into this uh, this camp, I, I had a, I had a whole lot of uh, of eye on, but every time I've watched him out there, he he looks really really good. And so we asked, hey, what about this guy? He's doing, and it turned into a, a much bigger picture uh, kind of answer that that you heard right there. Yeah, and and a little more insight into what Joe Moorhead wants out of his quarterback. He was asked about the number of times that Nick Fitzgerald ran the football a year ago and what he would like to see in terms of number of runs from his QB. Historically, it has been about 10 to 15 a game, max. Uh, and I think that's ideal. And I think uh, the reason he saw so many carries um, was because of you know some of our struggles in certain games passing the ball. Uh, and, and when that occurs, uh, teams know that you have to run it. Uh, and then you're going to get a, a, a stack box at the line of scrimmage. And when you have when you're outnumbered by one or more, then you got to utilize the quarterback as a number in the run game because you can't just continue to hand it off to unblock people at the point of attack. The guy will get tackled at the line of scrimmage. Uh, and the emphasis on taking carries off the running back 
I'm sorry, getting carries to the running back and taking them off the quarterback has as much to do with our pass game as it does our run game. Because when we get people out of the out of the crowded line of scrimmage and playing a little more too high shell, you know, more of those carries can go to the quarterback instead of the running back because of the read element of it. So again, some uh, some insight into the trickle down effect of a lack of success in the passing game causing teams to commit more to the running game. And when teams commit to the running game, it's really hard to run the ball with running backs, but the quarterback is kind of the wild card in that scenario that sometimes gives you the ability to have some success. Yeah. I mean, you go back a season ago, off the top of my head, I can think of at least three games where Fitzgerald was plus 20 carries. I know he had 28 against Auburn. Um, and that was a game. Now that game, you know, maybe not maybe not fair because State was incredibly successful running the ball in that game, and they just stuck with it. And Colin Hill was had twenty carries in that game as well, which I think you know that could have been a formula that worked for State a year ago. This year, I don't know that it can work. Stevens and Keaton are both good runners, but they're not Nick Fitzgerald. You know, Nick Fitzgerald's a great running quarterback, and I don't know that you, the, either one of these guys are great running quarterbacks. So you want to get the ball into Kylan Hill's hands. He's the best player on the offense, uh, and. But to do that, I, I get what Moorhead's saying there, that you can't just hand him the ball every time because defenses will sniff that out very, very quickly. State has to be better in the passing game, and that's why they brought Stevens in. The tentative timeline that Joe Moorhead has been given to name a starting quarterback is, what, the Wednesday before game week. So that would be, what, about a week and a half away? Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, two weeks from yesterday? If the timeline holds, here's what he said about wanting to name a starter. I mean, that, that is the, the rough estimate, and I think it's probably the, I say the most ideal, but it's kind of a, 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 a time frame where when a, a true competition is occurring that, that we've you know earmarked as a spot. I mean, if it separates earlier, it separates earlier. I mean, the sooner you can name it, the better because for uh, consistency and uh, you know cohesion, but it could go longer. I, I don't know, but... Uh, I think ideally, as soon as you can, you know, conventionally, it's been that Wednesday, and, you know, if it's still tight, it could go longer. Hey, Dad, the interesting thing to me about that is there there are a couple of things in place there. When when you're naming a starting quarterback, one, a guy's got to win the job in the coach's eyes. But two, you've also got to take into account how his teammates react to him. Uh, I've heard people that play football before say, the team's going to tell you who the starting quarterback is. Or, or who the starter at a specific position is, even if they don't do so verbally, if you're really watching and really paying attention, you'll be able to see which guy a team rallies around as their starter. Yeah, and but so far, though, when we talk to the players, uh, they've, they've been saying all the right things, but a very politically correct atmosphere, shall yeah. we say, of, 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 oh, well, both guys are doing so well. But you, but you're right, you know, and eventually some separation is going to occur. You know, we're not seeing very much of practice, obviously. I, th- I think combined in the practices I've been to, I might have seen an hour, hour and ten minutes total of drills. Um, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, the last two two practices I've been to, and I've I've paid attention to the quarterbacks probably more than I should have, but I feel like that's that's what everybody wants to know about. But I thought Keaton Thompson looked pretty good the last couple of practices. Does that change my opinion on who's going to win this job? No, but. I feel like he's he's out there and you know he's he's given it a, a great effort and he, maybe maybe he has made some improvements that you know if he decides to stick it out at Mississippi State he could be successful next season as the starter we'll see how that goes it's, and you know all that's a long way off but yeah I, I do agree with you we're going to start at some point 
it's going to become obvious who the starter is, and, and I agree that the team will be the ones who, who sort of let us know what's going on. Are you of the opinion that if Keaton Thompson doesn't win the starting job, that he's going to transfer? I don't know for sure. I, I, I would it would make sense for him to at, at, at one point, but at the same time, having that redshirt year available, you know, he could he could if he you know and. It, the thing I always say about transfers and, and anything like this, because sometimes you see guys who don't play at all, and why why have they stuck it out? You never know what's going on with a player. You know, he, he might actually like it here. Might have a girlfriend. Might be you know have classes he enjoys. I don't know what his his situation is. Um, so he's going to have that option. Uh, I asked Moorhead about that at media days if they had talked at all about what, what the next step might be. I asked him last night. I don't know if we have that audio, but if there's any plans for you know whoever the loser is, could they make a move to another position? Because they're both pretty good athletes. Stevens has played some wide receiver before. Uh, they tried with Keaton a little bit last year, but it didn't do very much. Um, so I don't know what the long-term plan is for Keaton Thompson. I wouldn't be completely surprised to see him transfer. I wouldn't be completely surprised to see him stay at Mississippi State. Finally, some from uh, Joe Moorhead, some thoughts on how the offensive line is gelling. Real nice, and I, I think it's anchored by Daryl, you know, who had a real nice season at guard and transitioned into center, and you know that's kind of the linchpin of the, of the, of the group. Uh, but I think it all goes back to uh, you know Marcus's um, and our thought process of cross training guys during the season and getting uh, getting reps in at different positions. So maybe when someone goes down, it's not the guy behind them on the depth chart; it's the next best, it's the next best guy to go in. And uh, you know, you know, I think we cleaned up the protection early on last year. You know, after after some of those struggles, I think we did a nice job, and we we're second in the SEC in rushing. So our, you know, our uh, kind of goals as an offensive line is to, to improve on those things. The great teams I've been on in the, in the four championship teams, the mentality of those teams have been dictated by the offensive and defensive line, and I think that is something that uh, I know our kids and Marcus take a great amount of pride in. That was Joe Moorhead after practice last night in Starkville talking uh, about a lot of different things. We'll hear from Rich Rodriguez after Ole Miss's practice yesterday. First-year offensive coordinator with the Rebels. Uh, get some of his thought on uh, thoughts on quarterback play, on offensive linemen, on the group of running backs they've got, on some individual players. All of that is coming up when we continue with you in the Renaissance Bank studio streaming online at supertalk.com. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Thursday afternoon, we heard from Jill Moorhead after Mississippi State's practice yesterday. This also was from yesterday. Rich Rodriguez, offensive coordinator at Ole Miss, meeting with the media after the Rebels finished up practice number five, and he had uh, answers to questions that were asked of him. First off, they have taken a pretty ambitious track on the installation of this new offense, especially considering the number of young guys. How much so? Yeah, we were really ambitious. And uh, four or five days in, we have probably 70% of what our offense will be. Now, it's not game-specific to Memphis yet or anything like that, but I was a little nervous about that with so many freshmen going to be in a 2D, but we're trying to force-feed it, and they're handling it pretty well. And Borky, when he says 70% or so four or five days in, that doesn't take into account what they did in the spring also. Right, and you wonder if they're even going to get to 100, just maybe get a good number of base packages that they'll just know and be able to execute to perfection. He says 
he said it to us when we were there for Ole Miss Media Day, and he said it again, I, I want to say it was Monday, earlier this week anyway, that he's got to remind himself that his quarterback, the face of that program at this point, is still just a redshirt freshman. And even though you've got to rely on him to produce and be your guy and be your leader, he's still young and he's still learning a new system himself. So I wonder how if they're going to get to 100%. That's something I hope they ask here in the next couple of weeks is how far along they are on install uh, just to see if they actually got it all in or even chose to try to get it all in. Well, and a little bit of a juxtaposition. Um, Tua Tagovailoa at Alabama, I was reading a, a story earlier today you know, he played some as a freshman. He had the miraculous throw in the national championship game. And it's like, that's all the experience in the world. Okay, he's a Heisman Trophy candidate. And he was exceptional a year ago, and his numbers were exceptional a year ago. But the story today focused on the fact that because he's a little bit older, he's finally going through progressions. It's not single receiver focused on routes and... That may be a little scary when you think about facing Alabama if you have a quarterback that is understanding defenses and is able to go through his progressions and not just expecting Jerry Judy's going to meet his guy here, beat his guy here. I'm going to throw it to him. Um, Henry Ruggs is running a fly route. Let's take a deep shot. He's going to be able to look at the combination of the route that Ruggs and Judy and Waddell are running and decide which one is the best option. So that's kind of what you're talking about. And if you rewind, obviously Matt Corral is certainly not that far down the line. We'll get to Matt Corral in a second, but there's no question that he's going to be the starter. There is a question as to who the backup quarterback is going to be. Here's Rich Rod on the backup QB race. It's uh, playing out. It, you know, We have three of them that are really battling for the second spot. Uh, I'm not even close to being uh, determining who that's going to be. It might be a couple weeks into the season, but I like all three of them. All three of them have done a pretty good job so far, and uh, we haven't been live with them. I'm debating whether I'm going to have them live at all you know, during camp, but at some point it probably would help to do that. Those three guys, Grant Tisdale, who was here in the spring, uh, Ken K. Dent, and John Rice Plumley, And... If you're kind of curious about how those guys break down, just based on kind of a limited amount of time watching the three of them and talking to some people around the Ole Miss practice, Kincaid Dent probably throws it best out of that three. I mean, if you're just talking about arm after Matt Corral, Dent's probably the one that throws it the best. Um, Grant Tisdale is probably the best runner of those three, and if you're looking for a guy that's a combination of those two that, that throws it pretty well and runs it pretty well, but maybe doesn't do either best, then you've got John Rice Plumley, who, you know, maybe doesn't excel at the same way that either of those two guys do, but does both and is awfully athletic. I'm pretty fascinated to see where this thing goes and who ends up as the backup. The beauty is they don't really have to show their hand on that either because of the redshirt rule. I mean, it, it's not going to work out this way, but conceivably all four of them can play equal time and equal games this year. You can play one the first four, one the next four, one the next four, and there's your season. 
Yeah, my guess is they don't do it exactly <laughs> that way. Not really going to work out that way, but they could do We it. would like to decide which of the three of you is best, and then you are the backup as opposed to just, oh, we got four, four, and four to work with. Oh, what are we going to do if we make it to a bowl game? <laughs> Who's the backup quarterback? Somebody's going to lose a red shirt. Um, what about Matt Corral? Here's what Rich Rod thinks with Matt Corral. They've been good. You know, Matt, one thing about Matt, he loves to play. He's eager to learn. You know, he makes a few mistakes. And that's sometimes i got to remember, he hasn't played a whole lot either. He's a redshirt freshman. So there's some of that experience that we still got to get, and then he's still learning a new system. Uh, but he gets a little bit better every day, and uh, I'm, I'm really confident that uh, Matt uh, could have a really good year for us. Whether it's Matt Corral or one of those three freshmen that's battling for the backup spot, they are going to play behind a young offensive line. Yeah, I mean, because of injury, even a couple of veterans are a little banged up, whatever. You know, all those freshmen, um, with the exception of Darius, were getting a lot of reps. And a lot of them, I think, I think this whole second unit might be true freshmen. It's not scary when you look at that, but it's a really good group. Uh, Jack McNeil's uh, got his work cut out for him. Because the freshmen, you got to teach them fundamentals and a scheme. And, you know, when you're upperclassmen, they usually have the fundamentals down. With a young guy, you got to do both. And so he's working them hard, and it's a good group of guys. How do you think about that? There, there's something to that. So you go, well, freshman offensive lineman. Oh, man, those guys are swimming upstream. Yeah, but why? Well, because they got to learn how to play the position, and they've got to learn how to play the scheme. Normally, it's in that freshman year, you're – trying to learn footwork and hand placement and how to get in the right spot. And unless you are just an, an exceptional talent, usually you're not playing as a freshman on the offensive line. Hey, Dad, isn't that the position that you would think, without doing the research, you have the most guys red shirt? Oh, I would definitely think that, 100%. I mean, you look at Mississippi State this year, pretty good depth on the offensive line, but they've got a five-star guy in Charles Cross. And, you know, I think five-star, I think immediate impact, you know, only going to be there three years kind of player. But I, I don't would be shocked this year if Cross didn't redshirt. So, really? yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, 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 I really see that happening. So, yeah, the the offensive line, that's that's where, the you know, because running the football, if you got speed, you know, if you're a receiver and catch the ball, those are things that can be you can install and, and be a part of packages and stuff. But the offensive line, the difference between an 18-year-old just out of high school and a 22-year-old who's done four seasons and strength and conditioning, <laughs> it's huge. It's massive. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. That and most high school offensive linemen aren't coached very well, and most of them are bigger and stronger than everybody they ever went against in their life up until this yeah. point. They're just getting by on physical attributes. They're not doing any technique. They don't know anything other than I'm bigger and stronger than you. Let me push you off the ball. Well, and if you you think of some of the the great offensive linemen that have come through the SEC, whether you're talking about Ole Miss or Alabama or Auburn or, or wherever, a lot of the great ones still play at least four years. Some of them play five years before going to the NFL. The number of guys that leave college football after three years on the offensive line, it's not a huge number. Yeah, It's the guys like that like, are first-round draft picks. A guy like Laramie Tunsil, that's, a, that's yeah. a diamond. That's a gem. You don't get that very often. Yeah. I mean, a, a Laramie Tunsil, a, a Michael Orr. Um, I'm trying to think about some of the guys that Alabama has, has had. Uh, Andre Smith, maybe. Yeah, I mean, was Chance Warmack a, a three-year guy? or He played four years, didn't he? I think he played four years, yeah. 
I mean, Barrett Jones played four years at Alabama. Now, obviously, he ended up not making it in the NFL, but anyway, you get the idea. Uh, what about the running back room for Ole Miss? It's good. You know, Scotty's a proven guy. Um, you know, he's still got to get a little better shape, which he's working to do. Uh, you know, Isaiah Warrior, uh, Anki's guy, we call him Anki's. He's a proven guy. You know, Jaron Ely's going to play as a freshman. I'm really pleased with his progress. We got Blue Penman's going to play a little bit. Uh, Snoop Connor's going to play as a freshman. So we got pretty good competition, and we need to really have three or four ready to go. And I'm pretty confident that we'll have three or four that Coach Nix feels that he can rotate in and out with. I wonder with Penamont, uh, you, you heard as he was kind of going through, the, you know, yeah, Penamont's going to play a little bit. I wonder if it's going to be like a, a goal line package for him. Like he's your heavy guy. Yeah, and I guess we don't have time for it right now, but speaking of goal line packages, I mean, he talks about uh, two back sets, which is something you haven't seen much of the last couple of years, and it sounds like they no. have the bodies to do it, and then two tight end sets as well. Uh, so instead of on third and one, you have four wide outs and one running back trying to get one yard running the ball up the middle, you're going to have 22 personnel in some cases uh, loading the box with big bodies and bigger running backs. That's something that just they haven't done in the last couple of years. And so that'll be just fascinating to see a red zone offense that changes a little bit when they get inside of the 20. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm on this Thursday. There are a couple more sound bites. Let's let you hear those quickly. Just uh, two final things from uh, Rich Rodriguez. Uh, Borky alluded to the tight ends a second ago, but there's a player that Ole Miss missed the entire year. ACL injury as a senior in high school, and then another one early in the season a year ago. Rich Rodriguez talking about Demarcus Gregory. He, he was kind of like Blue Penham, and he's, uh, he's in better shape now. Uh, he's 100% healthy. He's had a really solid camp, uh, and he's lost some weight. And, and he's going to, you know, we've, you know, we're all unproven guys out there, really. You know, Braylon's playing a little bit, Sanders. But everybody else is really unproven, and DeMarc is a guy that's going to play for us this year, and I'm, I'm pleased with what I see. So Braylon Sanders has played a little bit. Elijah Moore has played a little bit. Tyler Knight has played a little bit. That's about it. In terms of talent returning at the skill positions on the outside. A lot of on-paper talent there, but definitely a lot of unproven talent. This kid is especially interesting to me. He played at a football factory near where I grew up called Burns. Burns was like when South Panola was in their heyday. That's what Burns was in upstate South Carolina. They had, and we're talking 06 to 09 is when I played varsity high school football. And... Burns was one of the those first programs that like had a high school indoor practice facility. They had a special deal with Nike where their players got custom cleats and they had a instant replay video board and their own TV channel. It, it was absurd. It, it's just a regular public high school, not like uh, what is it, IMG in Florida, just a public school. But they had kids that transferred there from Ohio and other places. They went out and recruited. Uh, Jake Bentley's dad was the coach at the time when I played against him. And they beat the brakes off of everybody. And it didn't matter. If you played Burns, you were losing. And that's where, where this kid came from. So I've had my eye on him for a while just because I remember uh, getting a beat down by the Burns Rebels for four years. Hmm. Are they still good? 
Uh, not as good as far as I understand it, but my senior year, we won 10 games, and we played them in the second round of the playoffs, and they beat us by 42. Hey. I had seven guys on that team that went on, on my team that went Division One, and they beat us by 42 points. That's how good they were. Yeah. They had some pretty sweet uniforms. Yeah, they did. Just kind of checking them out on uh, online. All right, final thing. Uh, tight ends. Rich Rod talking about tight ends at Ole Miss. Yeah, I think so. It's you know we uh, you know Jason Peller when he's healthy, he's a little nick today, and Cooley. We got two experienced guys. Bless you. Um, but yeah, we're giving them 12, 21 personnel. We're putting on just let, make sure Memphis is watching this. That we got every personnel group there's ever, been, <laughs> and we're repping them all equally. So. Uh, there you go. <laughs> that two tight end set is. I mean. Uh, if they run that a lot, they they either a are really concerned about their front five, or they're going to run the football a lot in a lot of different ways and give a lot of different looks. I, I wonder if they have the depth to be able to do it, like a twenty-two personnel or a twelve personnel. But seeing two tight ends on the same field at the same time in Ole Miss football is something that we haven't seen, Richard, in how long? I mean, Hugh Freeze didn't do that. They had like a jumbo package they did occasionally, but otherwise they didn't run two tight end sets. And the tight end that they used the most was Evan Ingram, who was a slightly bigger wide receiver, who also could block pretty well, but he was a pass catcher. No, the 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 the, the heavy look in Hugh Freeze's offense was when he would take a uh, an All American defensive tackle who had the wrong number on and stick him <laughs> in the backfield as a running back. Right, hey Dad? It happened. I saw it. And then get him concussed, and then lose. Yeah, it happened at a couple of times. It 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 happened uh, at at Liberty Bowl Memorial Stadium. That result was not a quality one, and um, happened in Starkville. And I don't think it worked out very well there either. What do you have? One good run against Mississippi State, and then it didn't work at all after that. Yeah, the next the next time Chris Jones uh, took care of that for him. Yeah. So there you go. All right. So that was uh, that was Rich Rodriguez. So so what's this little video, Borky? That it's it started out as kind of a joke on on Twitter and has turned into a thing. It's the funny. I, I don't laugh out loud very often when I'm scrolling through the internet, but this made me laugh out loud. So, a video went viral a couple days ago from a movie that I've never heard of, and you probably haven't either. It came out in 2016 called The Duff. D U F F. Love that movie. And it's about some. Have some, you seen it? No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> Some high school jock, the quarterback, you know, the star quarterback, falls in love with a girl that's, like, not that pretty, even though the actress is quite attractive. Uh, One of those stupid movies. So, video comes out of this guy at practice, and this poor actor cannot... It looks like he's never thrown a football in his life. Like, just can't do it. His mechanics are embarrassing, can't throw a football. So, it goes viral. His The actor's wife gets on Twitter... And says, all of you have ruined our date night because now, instead of having fun, my husband's in the yard pumping up a football so he can show all of you that he can throw. A couple hours later, he posts a video of himself throwing a football. Not any better. This poor guy. <laughs> You've got oh, to see the video. Oh, that's not true. It was, it was better than not the one. Much better. It didn't clear the air on whether or not he actually knew what he was doing. Ah, he took a drop and then took a crow hop and let it fly down the street. I mean, the one on TV, it was like, just, it was bad. It was really, really bad. Nothing worse than the dad in Field of Dreams trying to play catch. That's the worst throw in baseball history. Brian Brown joins us next. 
Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Back with you for the 4 o'clock hour. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. All guests appear on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Brian Brown joins us from Jocks in Birmingham. Uh, Brian, Borky tells me you're on vacation. I know generally you like him. Why did you say yes when he asked you to uh, come on and visit with us today? Uh, I feel sorry for him. He's, he's like a sympathetic character to me, so I try to help Orky as much as I can. Yeah. Well, thanks. Where are you? Anywhere fun? Technically, technically, it's a staycation. Um, okay. I just, uh, it's been a week of playing golf around here, and uh, my little one started kindergarten today, my youngest, so it was her first day of kindergarten, so I was going to be off that day anyway to take her to kindergarten for the first time, and you know, all that stuff, all the dad stuff. But I decided to make a week of it and just play golf every day uh, as much as I can. So that's what I was doing when Borky texted me. And I'm finished. I'm at home now, so I'm ready to roll, man. Well, thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. How does um, playing golf every day on vacation really differ from any other week for you in the summer, though? Uh, you saw my wife. She pretty much said, <laughs> she, my wife said, you know, other than today, you could have just gone to work every day and played golf afterwards. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Which is true. Sorry, my bad. Uh, bad observation. Yep, yep. I've, I've played a little, you know, maybe slightly earlier. You know, normally I see all eleven or twelve. I've been seeing all eight thirty or nine this week. So yeah, there, there's not a huge difference to be honest with you. Nah, good for you. Uh, are are there any rumblings coming out of Auburn, Bo Nix, or Joey Gatewood? It's funny you ask that. They scrimmaged today. They had a ninety play scrimmage this morning. And reading the reporting of Brandon Marcello, 24-7 Sports, um, he had sources that told him Knicks was the first one on the field with the first-teamers, which is interesting. Um, I wouldn't read everything into that by any stretch of the imagination. Somebody had to be first, obviously. But a lot of people have thought Gatewood might have the edge there, and it looked like Knicks was the first one out. Um, that was the good for him. The bad for him is um, he had a couple interceptions. One was a pick six, according to Brandon's sources. Um, the offense scored twice, and the defense, the first team defense, dominated. And there were three offensive turnovers all on Knicks-led drives. So, um, you know, the, I guess there was some good and bad there. And he he threw some interceptions, and um, it looked like he might have gotten worked over a little bit by the first team defense. But it also doesn't appear the Gatewood let things up. But, and you know, you expect the defense to be ahead of the offense, especially when you're an experienced quarterback. But it seemed like maybe Knicks struggled a little bit more than Gatewood, at least on the turnover front. Yeah. I'm just trying to kind of think back with Auburn. There were times a year ago where offensively they were okay, but as a general rule, that didn't feel like a great offense. It felt like an offense that that never really figured itself out. It's real easy to say when Gus Malzahn's got a great quarterback that the offense has been great. You've got the dynamic of him calling plays again, the last time we saw Auburn, they hung, what, 63, I think it was, on Purdue. Yeah, on Purdue. Yeah. But I don't know what I'm supposed to believe about Auburn's offense. That's a great, you know, it's a great question because, um, you know, Pat, Bo Nix almost called him Patrick, Patrick's his father, but Bo Nix sure. won kind of what Gus Malzahn wants to run. That's what his dad, Patrick, ran. Not, not, not the exact Gus Malzahn offense, but a lot of the same concepts. Uh, he ran at Pinson Valley for his dad, um, the high school where he played here in Metro Birmingham. 
So he can do that, but it seems like Gatewood has probably cut more out of the Nick Marshall mold with a little more of Cam Newton's size. He's not Cam Newton, so don't don't miss saying. I'm just saying he's a little bit of a bigger Nick Marshall. But to your point, nobody would ever call Nick Marshall a great quarterback. But in that system, Nick Marshall was tremendous. I mean, he was very difficult to stop, especially in 2013. He and Trey Mason together were an exceptionally good duo. So you're right. If it's a quarterback that fits that Malzahn system well, it can be a really productive offensive system. Jared Stidham was never that guy. He was never going to be that guy. So Malzahn had to change for him. And I think that's where Malzahn realized he made a mistake. Is He didn't have to go get Jared Stidham. He needed a different style of quarterback. Now, it won the West one year, but he had to change his style for Stidham. And I don't think Malzahn wants to make that mistake again. One area that, that Auburn struggled a year ago, and some of it was not their fault, some of it was injuries, was the wide receiver position. They, they get some guys back this year. Are they going to be drastically improved in, in pass catchers? Um. Drastically might be an overstatement. Look, Seth okay. Williams is really, really good. Um, he he kind of burst on the scene last year, um, and he he's a he's a tremendous player. Um, not just a wide receiver, just a tremendous football player. So he he's going to be Auburn's best receiver. You know, Darius Slayton was kind of the deep ball guy, but he didn't have the best hands in the world. Will Hastings, you know, he's a converted kicker. It's such a weird situation with him, but he doesn't do anything but catch like thirty yard bombs. Um, he's been injured. He'll be back. Um, Eli Stove is coming back. You know, he's not like a dynamic game changer, but Eli Stove is a solid receiver for Auburn. Uh, you know, I think they'll be better. I don't know if I would say drastically better just yet. Maybe they will be, but, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, wh- when Anthony Schwartz is, is 100% healthy, he is a burner. He's got track speed. So it'll be interesting to see what they can do with him, having Hastings back, Eli Stove back healthy. But Seth Williams is is he he's the workhorse of that group. I mean, he's the guy I think that will impress you the most. Moving from Auburn to Alabama, I read a story earlier today. I referenced this earlier in the show um, that that sounds a little scary when when you think about the progression of Tuatanga Vailoa, the the little bit of play, but leads them to the national championship two years ago. Last year, like number one or top five QBR in the entire country, but it sounds like wasn't doing a lot in terms of going through progressions and really understanding what defenses are doing, but has made strides in that, which is a little scary if you start thinking about, okay, now they're not just breaking the huddle saying, I'm throwing it to Judy or I'm throwing it to Waddell. If he's going to actually look and see what the defense is giving him and be able to operate, some of that may be overblown a little bit. How big of a step forward, though, can Tua take? Well, I think he can take a pretty big step forward. And let me let me remind you, Richard, that he would have been the USC quarterback if Steve Sarkeesian kept his job at USC. That's who was recruiting him the best. And his family, for whatever reason, really liked USC and really liked Sarkeesian. When all that went south, that was when it really opened the door for Alabama to get in the mix. And they convinced him to come to Tuscaloosa. Well, you know, now you've got that marriage back with Steve Sarkeesian. And I don't think it's any accident um, that Tua Tungabloa is the quarterback and Steve Sarkeesian is the guy that Nick Saban kind of pulled off the, I don't want to say trash heap, that's probably a little too strong, but I don't think it's any accident that Tua Tungabloa and Steve Sarkeesian are back together. Now, I'm not suggesting that the Tungabloa family told Saban who to hire. Nobody's going to do that. 
But I also think Nick Saban is a smart guy, and he knows that that is a guy that Tua Tungabaloa, and presumably as well his younger brother Talia, who may be a future, you know, he's on the team at Alabama. We'll see if he's ever the starter. I don't think there's any accident that that's who that family's very comfortable with, and why would you not take advantage of that if you can? So I think having those two, you know, reunited, so to speak, even though they never were together, but I think you catch my drift there. I think that's that can lead to a lot of improvement for Tua Tagovailoa. Ryan Brown from Jocks and the Jocks Roundtable on uh, your radio. I feel like we've talked about this last year and the year before that and the year before that, and it's turnover on the coaching staff. And it feels like more people are pointing to that may have been a bigger issue a year ago. In fact, Nick Saban even brought that to light at, at SEC Media Days, that maybe the focus on with some of his assistant coaches wasn't where it needed to be. Some people kind of rolled their eyes and scoffed at that, but I don't feel like you can have it both ways. That you can't roll your eyes and scoff at it when Nick Saban says, "Yeah, that may have been an issue," but then turn around and write a story about Alabama has coaching turnover and how long can they continue <laughs> to sustain things. That makes sense. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. No, you're right. Um, yeah, I do think it was an issue. I, I, I don't. I don't think you know. Maybe you know, a lot of people looked at Nick Saban saying that as an excuse for losing the championship game, and maybe it was an excuse. I don't know. Um, I think the bigger issue, not just turnover, but I just think, you know, I think they realized very early Tosh LaPoy was probably a little bit out of his league trying to call defenses in the SEC. And that's why, you know, Pete Golding is now the defensive coordinator. It was almost at Ole Miss, but, you know, he took over a lot of the game day play calling of defenses during the season. Now, he never was coordinating it fully. LaPoy was still doing that, but... A lot of people will tell you that Golding took over the kind of the game day operations on that. So I think Saban realized he made a mistake early there. Um, you know, it's hard to say you made a mistake with Michael Oxley because that was a record-setting Alabama offense with a Heisman finalist quarterback. But you know, when when you were in your most important situation, you know, Michael Oxley was he was he already you know once one foot in Maryland and one foot in Tuscaloosa. I don't know, but. In the national championship game, that offense, it struggled. And it wasn't the same offense it had been all year. So, And, and you know, Craig Kulagowski, who was the defensive line coach who came from Miami, that everybody sang praises of when Nick Saban made that hire, that guy's unemployed right now. Alabama's still paying him not to coach. But he's not to coach at Alabama, but he could have gotten a job anywhere and doesn't have one. So that's a little bit puzzling, too, because that guy came as a – when he was hired, a lot of people praised Nick Saban as hiring one of the best defensive line coaches in the country. Yeah. Ryan, as always, good stuff. I can't imagine how much golf you'd play if you were paid not to uh, do your job. Enjoyed the uh, rest of the staycation this week. One day left. Thanks, man. Yeah, we're, play- we're playing again in the morning, so I'll let you know how it turns out. That a boy. Ryan Brown from Jocks at the Jocks Roundtable on the Farm Bureau phone line. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Hey, Borky, we were talking about planes earlier and uh, a little concerning. I had a buddy sent me a message. said, I tried to fly to, or, uh, I flew to uh, an Auburn game in 2003 on a small plane. We wanted to have some drinks on the way home, but the pilot said we didn't have enough weight allowance to ice down a styrofoam cooler. See, don't that tell me like that. That feels like you're flying a little too close to the sun 
if the weight of one cooler is going to throw off the balance for the entire airplane. I mean, what is that, five pounds? You know what that sounds like? A pilot that just made up an excuse to not have a bunch of drunks on his plane. Because what, what difference is five pounds? Like, what I if you went shopping? Five, five pounds? Well, if what's a, a, a small bag of ice and a small styrofoam cooler? It, okay, maybe 10 pounds. Well, what's a 10-pound difference? Or a 20-pound difference? What if you went shopping, bought a couple pairs of shoes? It's no different. Mm. That's crap. That, that's like that's adding a suitcase. It would be like adding a suitcase to your luggage. And if that's honestly going to throw off the balance of the plane, I don't want to get on the plane. I'll stay yeah. on the ground. I'll drive. Uh, no thanks. Sports Talk Mississippi is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you're in the market for a piece of property, or you have found a piece of property and you are ready to uh, pull the trigger on it, it's a spot where you can hunt a little bit, you can fish a little bit if you want to, um, maybe you can just get out and ride four-wheelers or take nature hikes in the woods, or you just kind of get away and unplug. That's a dream for a lot of people. And Mississippi Land Bank can help you with that. Uh, number one, they can help you find the property you're looking for. They deal in the real estate business all the time. They're on the financing side, but they're talking to people who have land that's for sale and they hear about things. So give them a call or stop by one of the branch offices and see them. Talk to them about what it is that you need and see if uh, they can help you. They've been financing land and refinancing land for over a 100 years Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. How about a little college football fix? To ring or not to ring? The college football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. You've got the hurry up and save sales event going on right now. Means savings on the F-150, or the Ranger, or the Explorer, or the Expedition. Great deals, great vehicles. You can test drive one today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. That's not just something that I read, by the way. I feel strongly about that. We are a uh, we are a two Ford family, and uh, I've been driving an F-150 for a really long time, and uh, don't have any uh, real interest in driving anything else. Get behind the wheel of one and test drive it today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. This is actually a debate topic where there are people who say Dabo Sweeney is wrong. I do not understand those people. Dabo Sweeney chose not to give Kelly Bryant a title ring. The debate is whether or not this is the right call or Dabo Sweeney is being petty. Swinney said he wasn't on the team. You got to be on the team to get a ring. I love Kelly and appreciate what he did for us. But he decided to move on. What what why are there people that believe Kelly Bryant deserved a national championship ring? for a team that he wasn't a part of for the final 10 games of the year. I I think it's one of two things. 
One, because people want to have an opinion that they feel is contrary and they want the retweets and they want the engagement on social media to tell their editor that they got this many this month. Or there are people that think that Kelly Bryant was forced to transfer because the the NCAA's unfair rule or whatever, you know, that situation, those people that think that the NCAA is exclusively exploiting the kids and nothing more, and that he only left Clemson because he had to. I've seen that, and that doesn't make any sense to me either, but it's one of those two. There's no other in-between. Brian obviously is now at Missouri as a grad transfer. He started the first four games last season, but was then demoted in favor of freshman quarterback Trevor Lawrence following the Georgia Tech game. Kelly Bryant elected to transfer after being told by Sweeney that Lawrence would move into the starting role, and subsequently he left the team in late September. He didn't stick with the team through the end of the semester and not play and stick with them in the event he was needed as a backup. If you told me that Kelly Bryant said to Dabo Sweeney, okay, he's the starter, I've already played in four games, I want you not to play me the rest of the way unless there is an injury in which I'm going to be the starter for the rest of the season. And he stuck with the team throughout the year and then bailed at the end of the semester to transfer then you could convince me that he deserves a national championship ring because he did what was best for the team. I have absolutely no problem, none whatsoever, with what Kelly Bryant did. Choosing to leave, preserve a year of eligibility, and go play as a grad transfer. But he wasn't part of that team. He started four games, and he quit. He quit Clemson. He left school. Like, de-enrolled, out, see ya. He was not part of the team that won a national championship. When Bryant was demoted, at the time he called his demotion a slap in the face. Feels like a little bit less of a slap in the face in the rearview mirror, doesn't it, considering what Clemson did last year? It was the right decision. It was not an easy decision for Dabo Sweeney. Kelly Bryant done a lot, but a good quarterback. He just wasn't as good as Trevor Lawrence. And when he was told, you're not going to be the starter, what did he do? Completely within his rights, he said, I'm going to move on. But what did he do? He quit. When you quit the team, you no longer get the team gear. They don't still give you free shoes and shorts and shirts and sweatshirts and everything else. You don't still eat with the team. You don't get all the meals that go along with it. You don't go to the training room the way your other teammates go to the training room. And you damn sure don't get a national championship ring. In the ca- What kind of pinhead media person can legitimately argue that Dabo Sweeney is being petty and Kelly Bryant really does deserve a national championship ring. One that inexplicably gets a four-hour radio show on the SEC Network. Um, Who? Paul Feinbaum. Oh, 
Yeah, but he's not not even close to being alone. And and the people are saying, well, they don't beat Texas A&M without Kelly Bryant. Okay, then what happened? He quit. He chose to leave. Why? Yes, he helped them beat Texas A&M. But why is it so hard to understand that he was an, he made an active choice to no longer be on that team? Why should he get to reap the rewards of what that team did because he helped them win one of the games? I don't know how you get from A to B. There, there's some space in between, some logic jumping that you have to do where those two things don't make sense in connection with each other. Hey, Dad, what am I missing here? I don't think you're missing very much at all. I mean, I've seen some people make the argument that players that are traded from NFL teams can still get a Super Bowl ring, but those are trades. You know, that wasn't the player saying I wanted to leave. That was the, the front office making a move. Yeah. So I don't think those are very, those are very similar situations at all. Just for me, I mean, again, I might, maybe we're just the old guys, Richard, although Borky seems to agree with us. But, yeah, I mean, when, when you quit the team, you know, you quit the team and you get – here's what I want to know. Did Kelly Bryant ask about getting a national championship ring? Does he want one? Somebody My from Missouri needs to go no. ask that question. Yeah, why would he want one? All right, C Spire text line. Pinheads that believe in participation trophies. Larry, do you think Clemson would have won those four games without Kelly Bryant? Yeah, I yes. do. The Bryant ring thing comes from the participation trophy idiots. Love the show. That's Jimmy in the Berg. He says, and my brother teaches at Clemson, has since 1974. We know, folks. Feinbaum is wrong about this. Richard, I thought the pinhead media comment was spot on. Just thought you were referring to Feinbaum. No, it wasn't specifically. But on this particular take, if that's where he stands, then if the shoe fits, I won in every color, Paul. All right, some stuff from the NFL. Force Talk Mississippi. Ceasefire text line open to you, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395 if you would like to be a part of the conversation. At Ceasefire Repair Centers, they love making happier experiences for you. That's why they've got one-hour phone repair, fixing any phone from any carrier with certified parts and technicians. Visit cspire.com slash repair to find a repair center near you. Cspire, customer inspired. They've got over 20 repair locations across the state of Mississippi from Oxford to Gulfport. The Saints, the New Orleans Saints, are fighting in favor of the NFL to make the lawsuits from Saints fans, go away. Lawyers for the New Orleans Saints have joined NFL lawyers in opposing a fan's lawsuit over the failure to call a crucial penalty during a playoff game. You remember this? I mean, I know Yes, remember I remember it. I meant the lawsuits. <laughs> um, the NFL, by the way, they filed some kind of motion, whatever legal term you want to use, uh, to make sure that Roger Goodell doesn't have to testify, and they uh, cited death threats that were received by him and the officials involved. And so them showing up to Louisiana for this case would be uh, dangerous to their personal eh, health. Come on now. Yeah, I know. A little bit ridiculous, but that's what uh, well, they tried to do today. Okay, I don't want to make... I, uh, let me be careful here. I realize that I am belittling death threats when I do this. 
It's not a good idea. But I feel like we throw out the, uh, oh, I got death threats thing when you're in a position of authority when it's convenient. Yeah, like, and mo- they're not Like serious. most people that are in positions of authority like Roger Goodell or, oh, what was it, uh, Jim McElwain at Florida a couple of years ago. I mean, they get that stuff on Twitter. It's, you're, you're a sicko if you say that to someone. But people don't really worry about those things until it's convenient for them to throw it out. Well, I got death threats. So the failure to call a pass interference or unnecessary roughness penalty on L.A. Rams corner uh, Nickel Roby Coleman helped the Rams defeat the Saints in the title game and move on to the Super Bowl. Sorry, hey, Dad. In a Wednesday night filing with Louisiana Supreme Court, the Saints said allowing the lawsuit to proceed would, quote, open the door to countless legal claims, close quote, that would overburden courts, the league, and its teams. On Wednesday night, the league asked the high court to halt proceedings in the lawsuit. Lower court judge has allowed the suit to proceed and ordered that Roger Goodell submit questions uh, questions in September. Here's another quote. Saints have always been completely supportive of our, our fans' unbridled enthusiasm and understand their passion, in particular for the no-call situation in the NFC Championship game. In no way do we appreciate uh, um, do we not appreciate the support. However, we also need to be mindful not to open a virtual Pandora's box that allows courts and judges to either affirm or reaffirm contests played on the field. Mrs. Benson and Coach Payton have worked diligently this offseason through the proper channels at the league level to address these concerns. Yeah, a couple players as well have taken to social media to basically say, hey, look, stop, thanks, let's move on. No thanks. Yeah. I mean, regardless of how upset you are, that's the right course of action here, right? Absolutely. But the thing is, and Cowherd went on a rant on his show about how the Saints are going to take a huge step back. They're going to go 8-8 eight and eight because they can't get over it. They're not over it. Going into last season, do you remember what happened and why they got eliminated from the playoffs in 2017? Oh, I remember. As Sean Payton is mocking the skull chant on the sideline with one second left, Stephon Diggs catches the most improbable pass to win a game, one of the most improbable passes to win a game in the history of the sport, and they lose in Minneapolis. The Minneapolis Miracle. Is how they got eliminated from the playoffs the year prior. Marcus Williams missed a tackle. He was, I mean, just shameful how they lost that game. Embarrassing. A meaningless miracle, you mean? Yeah, because they lost the next week. But Sean Payton is literally mocking Vikings fans on the sideline as that game ends and his team loses. They turn around the next year and go 13-3. and So, I mean, how much... It sucks, but they're all professionals. They have experience getting losing in such a way that you would think that it would be hard to get over. And again, they went 13-3. and three. So are we really to expect that now they're going to have a bad hangover from a playoff loss nine, ten months ago? No. <sighs> yeah. So, sounds like that's, uh, that's moving in the, uh, the right direction. At least from a uh, common sense standpoint. Mentioned it at the beginning of the show today. Uh, you hate this if you are a Mississippi State fan because it involves a former player. Uh, Gabe Jackson carted off the field at practice today after a leg injury. 
Uh, sounds like it's serious. That's based on um, kind of what John Gruden said. said he was extremely concerned about Gabe Jackson. There had about 10 minutes earlier been an altercation between Aaron Donald and Gabe Jackson. So Gabe Jackson had handled pretty well the pass rush of Aaron Donald over the last couple of days, over the last few days. And then they get into a uh, little bit of a brouhaha, and then shortly thereafter, Gabe Jackson's hurt. I don't know if those two things are connected. There's been no reporting that I've seen of that. There are some Raiders fans that are making that connection or making that jump. Um, wait, is this? They've got a joint practice going on. That, that's what the deal is, right? Yeah, they're joint practicing right now together. That's why we got to see some Aaron Donald versus Gabe Jackson videos earlier today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently, Gabe Jackson is on crutches with a brace on his left knee. So the, the original report said that uh, he had just kind of gotten rolled up. Uh, which happens with linemen sometimes. Uh, but you certainly hope that uh, that he is okay. And then this, former first-round draft pick of the Arizona Cardinals, Robert Kimdichie, is getting another chance. Dolphins announced this morning that they have signed Kimdichie. He was cut by the Cardinals last month. has cleared waivers. Kimdichie, who suffered a torn ACL last year, is being placed on the uh, pup list, the physically unable-to-perform list. Physical talent is there. Major disappointment in Arizona. First-round pick in 2016. Dolphins hoping that they can get him healthy and then figure out a way to get something out of him that the Cardinals were not able to get out of him. Is Treadwell still a free agent? You can put the band back together. Mm. Oh, he's, he's still in Minnesota, but the, the writing appears to be... I thought they had released him already. Okay. No, he they, they released a depth chart, though, and he is buried very deep on that depth chart. So, you know, put one and two together when they make cuts, if he's still there. it's It seems like it's just a matter of time. But I, I saw, is your podcast partner a Dolphins fan, Hayden? That he is, yeah. Yeah, I saw, he said something on Twitter like, why would you do that? Well, it's a no-brainer if you're Miami, because if he does work himself out, he's supremely talented if not your investment is nothing your time investment is nothing you cut him you move on about your day it's a win-win well not a win-win necessarily but it's a win can't lose if you're Miami you get a talented guy if he still couldn't care less about football then you send him on your way without any skin off your back we should uh, get Denzel on the radio and find out what he thinks about it Bunch of preseason action tonight. <laughs> Colts and Bills. We were we revisited that story not too terribly long ago. Man, I, I don't know that I Jane know. actually brought it up. Before I was a member of this show, I don't know how many times I really listened to it. But buddy, when I heard that that had happened, you, you I guarantee I listened to that segment. I went back and found that on demand, and I laugh and I laugh and then I laugh some more, and then listened again. Thanks for I, clicks. I may have listened more than once. I got y'all some clicks that day. What do you think's been listened to more? His interview on that show, on our show when he fell asleep, or any of the albums he's released since then? Oh, <laughs> now you're just being cruel. Uh, Borky, uh, we should when, dig that up at some point. When Borky is funny, he is really funny. Hmm. You think we've still got that audio somewhere? We can find it if we look hard enough. 
Colts at Bills tonight. That is at 6 in Buffalo. NFL Network at 6, Jets and Giants. 6.30, Redskins and Browns, Patriots and Lions, Falcons and Dolphins, Titans and Eagles, Jags and Ravens. 7 o'clock, you got Panthers and Bears, Texans and Packers. Late game on the NFL Network, Chargers and Cardinals. Why are you giving me Chargers-Cardinals instead of Broncos-Seahawks in the late game on NFL Network? Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good reason. So that we can uh, we can see all seven snaps that he takes in preseason <laughs> all handoffs. Number one. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. 50 years ago today, Abbey Road was released. Um, one of the most iconic albums in music history. Made its debut 50 years ago today. Hey, Dad, are you a Beatles guy? I'm not a huge Beatles guy, but I like the Beatles. It's kind of kind of hard to find many albums that were better than that one. Certainly at least not. a number, at least a number of hits. Even if you don't dig the music, you, yeah. you can look at what the album accomplished. Four million copies in the first two months. In the UK, the album debuted at number one. It remained there for eleven weeks before being displaced for one week by the Rolling Stones' Let It Bleed. The following week, Christmas week, returned to the top spot for another six weeks before being placed right, uh, being replaced by Led Zeppelin two. Eighty-one weeks on the UK albums charts. Overseas reaction, which was United States reaction, similar. 12 weeks at number one on the Billboard top charts. Certified 12-time platinum album in 2001. Longest running chart, or longest charting album in Japan in history. 298 weeks in the top 100 in Japan. As of 2011, which is Almost a decade ago, over 31 million copies worldwide. What was on there? Come Together, Something, Maxwell Silverhammer, uh, Octopus's Garden, I Want You, Here Comes the Sun, La 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 La, Mean Mr. Mustard. Golden Slumbers, Gary That Weight, The End, Their Majesty. Yeah, the back end of that album is kind of interesting because it's all really short songs, like under two minutes. Some of them are like minute 40, minute 20. So the last, what is it, six songs on that album are all really short and just not your typical like song list in a regular album. They're all really almost like quick hits, if you will. More popular, Come Together or Here Comes the Sun? Come together. I agree. That album agree cover is, I mean, how many movies have you seen or TV shows have you seen where there's somebody and in their room that poster's hanging up of them walking yeah. across the street? Yep. Someone could have never heard of the Beatles before, and if you show them that picture, they'll recognize it. Is there anything that is remotely close in modern culture, not even modern music culture, but modern music culture, 
I'm sorry, not modern music culture, but modern culture that could equate to Beatles mania? No. Isn't the era of a, a super band kind of over? It's just because music is so different now. You don't you don't have bands hardly anymore. And even the good people, they just fizzle out so quickly. I mean, the Rolling Stones are hanging on. Still selling yeah, out arenas. Yeah. That's a little different. But you, you, you too, right? They, yeah. yeah. But they still didn't do what the Beatles did. But did anybody else? No. No. But, I mean, well, okay, different question. I mean, uh, obviously, you too has not created... Beatles mania the way, or you know, YouTube mania the way the Beatles did. But as far as a band that has stuck it out and is doing what they're doing in arenas still, I mean, it's kind of the last of that breed, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless you want to go more, I mean, it's just on a different scale when you talk about something like widespread. Yeah, totally different. I mean, please understand. Please do not. Please stop. Stop. If you, no, if you're yelling at me in your car, stop. Stop it. Don't be the guy or the gal that hears what you want to hear as opposed Richard to hears Cross what I was actually saying. The Beatles to widespread panic. Oh my no, god. I, I mean, from a cult following, sells out shows, whatever. I wouldn't say on the a micro a, scale. I wouldn't say the Beatles had a cult following. I mean, they were popular with everyone. Yeah, that, they were mainstream. That's the yeah. key, is everyone. The most popular, Elvis was. Yeah, Elvis, Elvis was too. The most popular musicians today are not popular with everyone. Right. I yeah, mean, you part watch of the, that is because you got a bunch of hipsters that are too cool to think that, okay, mainstream music is actually cool. Well, that too. And I think social media has changed a lot of things. Um like one of the more popular singers, apparently I've learned is uh, is a young girl named Billie Eilish, and I tried to listen to her music, and it's horrendous. I mean, just <laughs> tell us how you really feel about. I, it. I mean, it's awful, and and she's like seventeen, and the things she says about her are just appalling. And I'm twenty seven, so I'm not an old man. Like get off my lawn. It's disgusting what a, a young girl sings about, and so. I don't want to hear that. Though. You don't, and you're, gosh, if your daughters bring her up, take their phones away or whatever you have to do. Don't let them listen to her. But she is as popular as a musician can be in the modern age, and there's no, there's no chance that she has mass appeal. But the Beatles, everybody in that era knew them and liked them. Everybody. Jason says video killed the radio store. This says streaming killed it with the availability of so much music. We're not tied to our radios. Uh, Richard and Wiggins beating the table with a Conan O'Brien gif of uh, widespread panic. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, Keith says Willie Nelson's still doing it, although, hanging on, uh, just canceled the rest of his tour with Allison Krauss because he was having trouble breathing. Don't make any jokes about that. Um, but, but again, I mean, with Willie Nelson, you're talking about a solo act. I mean, Taylor Swift, you're talking about a, a solo act. Uh, somebody said NSYNC Backstreet Boys. It's, I just don't think it even <laughs> compares. I mean, okay, when the Backstreet Boys were hot, 
and InSync was going crazy. Yeah, they had like this little goo goo gaga teenage girl following, and their music was all over the place. But it, at least as I understand what the Beatles deal was like, it's not even close. No. I mean, the the Beatles mania that was a worldwide phenomenon. That had had only been seen prior to that by what Elvis did, right? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Nothing if like you that. build it, he will come. Major League Baseball next year is going to play a regular season game between the New York Yankees and the Chicago White Sox in Dyersville, Iowa. Field of Dreams will become a big league reality on August 13th of 2020 when the beloved 1989 baseball movie will spring to life in the Iowa cornfields. It was announced earlier today the White Sox and Yankees will stage the first ever major league game in the Hawkeye State in a temporary 8,000-seat ballpark constructed in the corn on the Dyersville farm site where the classic film was shot. This is really cool, isn't it? Have you seen the renderings for what the temporary park is going to look like? It's going to look temporary, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. But just uh, it looks like on the design that they are really going to make it feel like you're at a small ballpark in Iowa. I mean, it's not on the actual field where they filmed the movie, but it's in the exact cornfield. And they're carving a little path through the corn from the field that they'll play on to the movie set. And they're not far apart at all. And they're, part of the outfield wall is going to be see-through. I think they said glass, or, but it'll be see-through, so the outfield wall is going to look like a cornfield. It will be one, a real cornfield in the outfield. Just... And I don't even really like the movie that much. But that is what? so cool. Wait, it, it's wait. a good movie. I, I like it, but it's not... If, if you told me to name top five sports movies, I don't put it up there. I'll, I'll fight you. We, we're going to fight next Bring time it. I see you. It's, it's going to happen now. NFL... Uh, I'm sorry. MLB at Field of Dreams will be nationally broadcast on Fox. Follows the precedent of the now annual Little League Classic in Williamsport. And this year's Major League Baseball game that was played in Omaha leading into the College World Series. Latest example of the game bringing itself to iconic American baseball venues outside typical big league jurisdiction. Obviously, you had the uh, the Yankees-Red Sox series in London this year, a couple of games. Next year, you got Cubs-Cardinals playing in London. I think this is really cool. More sports need to do more things like this. I wonder what tickets will go for on the secondary market. Over under a thousand bucks. On the secondary market, I'd say over. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll wrap it up with you next. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.